Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. And today I'm speaking to a couple of engineers at purpleplatypus.com, a company that resells high-end 3D printers. Uh, seems to do quite a bit of things in the uh, 3D printing, CNC milling, and uh, manufacturing worlds. How are you doing, guys? Good, good, thank you. Doing well, thanks for having yeah, me. I've, yeah, I have on the line two engineers from Platypus. Uh, would you guys mind introducing yourself and uh, let everyone know what you do for Platypus? Yeah, definitely. Uh, my name is Cameron Williams. Um, I work here at Purple Platypus and uh, our DBA, also uh, Purple Porcupine. Um, I help our sales engineers with uh, basically technical information for our customers and help our customers realize where our technologies can fit into their applications. Uh, I also do uh, CAD design, product manufacturing, and uh, product design as well. Okay. And uh, I'm Peter Montgomery. I also uh, do a lot of the same uh working with customers to find new solutions with 3D printing and uh, basically help them to integrate that into their existing processes and also uh, sort of application engineering. So looking at uh, current manufacturing methods and finding new, better, faster ways for them to use the technology. All right, very good. So uh, currently, what are your, who are your best customers? You don't have to name names, but for what industries, what kind of applications are you seeing that there's a big interest in 3D printing for? Well, the interesting thing with 3D printing is it actually it touches so many different areas and, and so many different vertical markets that there are, it's kind of hard to put a specific uh, best customer out there. I'd say definitely aerospace. Uh, there are a lot of applications there. Um, as well as especially us being located in Southern California. Uh, we're doing everything from aerospace to uh, stuff you'd see uh, on the big screen. Yeah, right, then, I was um, going oh, yeah, to expand on that. Um, another area that we're definitely seeing a, a big plunge into is uh, medical. Um, we're located in Irvine, California. So medical OEMs and uh, um, just medical advancements and, and so forth here in Southern California are big as well. So medical is a, a one that... We're definitely delving into uh, getting uh, more, but it's one of our bigger uh, kind of growing areas. Yeah, of the two, uh, the thing that I would you know think that would touch most regular people's lives is the medical side. Uh, let's talk about that. So, what kind of applications are you seeing that are out there right now, and what's coming? Um, for medical, one of the the uh, uh, big areas that we uh, kind of exist within is uh, helping doctors. Um, with uh, uh, training, uh, so, so pre-op kind of uh, pre-op printed models that will essentially allow doctors to understand what the geometry and and uh, um, you know kind of technical uh, areas there are within the body, or, or let's say they have a certain surgery, an open heart surgery, or, or a brain surgery, or something like that, where it's a you know, the longer that the patient is open on the table, um, the higher risk there is for complications. They can actually um, create pre-surgical models that allow them to run a test uh, uh, surgery, let's say. Um, it allows you to train up the doctors and really increases the efficiency 
overall and uh, um, the survivability of the patient. Um, so that's kind of one great area for, for medical use that we're seeing um, kind of a new expansion into that area. Um, up until now, it's mostly been for medical OEMs in the same area that most people use 3D printing with uh, um, prototyping for pre-manufacturing phase. But that new area of um, uh, you know, uh, pre-surgical models is is really advancing really well, and it's it's really um, increasing the livelihood of uh, of patients. So, so an example would be, let's say, um, someone has a uh, brain tumor, and they need surgery to have it taken out. You would, you you're saying you can make a 3D model of someone's head, and the doc, the physician, the surgeon, could actually practice on the the model and know exactly where everything's going to be. That's correct. So what you can actually do is take the uh, medical Im imaging data that you'd be traditionally looking at in, in 2D uh, and actually bring that into software, which would allow us to render it in 3D. And from there, we can use some of the uh, polyjet technology, which is a jetted and cured uh, UV-sensitive photopolymer to create multi-material prints that would be representative of the, the tissues, the organs that they'd actually be working with in a surgery. So in the case of complex surgeries, uh, you have the ability to preoperatively plan based upon uh, the exact uh, medical imaging uh, from the patient. And that overall uh, reduces the chance of complications and risk, risk associated with even high risk procedures. How good does the model look? Have you seen them? I'm sure you have. And, and how real are they? Uh, they're pretty realistic. Um, then one of the newer polyjet technologies that was released by Stratasys earlier this year is called the uh, the J750, and um, it has the capability to print uh, full color models. Um, but these full color models uh, can also be done with uh, multiple shore values as well. Um, so the polyjet technology has a unique ability of being able to blend multiple different material types together. So we have an elastomer-like uh, material and a uh, plastic-like material. Um, we can do it with clear mm. translucent materials as well. So what that allows us to do is, and I've seen comparisons of this in, in the past of, of previous versions of the polyjet technology that were limited on color capability. Um, I've seen anatomical right. models that look very bland and they're all... Um, very similar color throughout. Um, well, one thing that doctors learn is is color cues uh, when they're inside a patient. Um, you know, they, the certain organs, certain tissues will be certain colors, and they, they learn to work off of that when they have the cameras and the orthoscopic devices. Um, what we're able to do now with the full color printing technologies is actually print in colors that are representative of what they'll actually find inside the patient. Um, so that advancement has definitely helped um, you know, and then that realism has definitely helped uh, doctors with with seeing exactly what they're going to experience before they uh, um, work on the patient. Oh, that's amazing! It, has there been um, feedback from surgeons on how it's helped them in surgery? Has it um, improved their accuracy, or what has it done specifically based on feedback? Um, my my experience, but I've but I've seen with uh, uh, doctors that have had experience with it. Um, their biggest thing is uh, actually training new up-and-coming uh, surgeons as well is a, is, a, is a big area of it. So they can, you know, do existing cases rather than, um, you know, in, in costs as well for OEMs and, and medical training facilities and, and so forth. You know, uh, most of the time we work with uh, doctors who work with cadavers or, um, you know, anatomical models or, or um, you know, non-human models and so forth. But those can all be very expensive, and, and the costs involved in those. So um, we're able to, utilizing this technology, 
those OEMs and, and those uh, training facilities are able to train up a new crop of, of surgeons at a much lower cost. And, you know, there are certain surgeons that might not have been able to make it because of the cost of medical training are now able to make it into, into the field. So um, they definitely do appreciate the, uh, the realism, um, and it definitely does create a, uh, a good, uh, you, know, you know, experience level for those doctors, being able to work with parts that are as close to the real thing as possible. That's amazing. What about the, uh, the nature of the, well, it's not really tissues, but... I mean, how does the feel and the springiness and the, you know, how does it compare to actual tissue? Are you working on approximating that better and better? Uh, yeah. So one of the things that we're able to do is actually replicate different shore values or durometers, which is essentially the thickness or basically how soft or rubbery something's going to feel. And we can make that accurate to what, uh, you know, skin, fatty tissue, uh, what, bone might be like, different uh, organs, so we have the capability of, of replicating that uh, very realistically. And uh, one thing sort of on Cameron's point as well as far as medical training is because this is a digital file and we have this digital inventory, we could have you know a sample of, for example, one complex uh, malignancy and reprint you know, 20, 100 different copies of it, uh, rather copies of it that would be the exact same. Um, and try different approaches to solving the same problem. And that's not something that we see uh, in the medical field today, really. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Huh. Well, um, what else is happening in the, the medical realm? Or, you know, I've heard in the news uh, companies trying to make a finger, uh, a piece of skull, uh, skin, even organs. Are you seeing any of that coming down the pike? Um. Yeah, that's kind of more of an advanced kind of R&D side of really where 3D printing exists. Um, for, for us, uh, working with Stratasys Technologies, um, you know, we're a little bit more kind of set in the, the technologies that we utilize. We're not as much mm -hmm. on the kind of cutting edge research and development of what new ways there is to use the technology. We, we kind of work with how existing customers can use the technology that we have for them set up. The, the printing of organs and fingers and, and so forth, um, those situations, I, I kind of noticed that they're not really highlighting the 3D printed aspect of it, but it's more the, the chemistry and biological science behind what they're doing. That's really the cutting edge science there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the 3D printing is just the method by which they're taking the genetic material and, and placing it. Um, you right. know, the, the, that could be done kind of in a way. It could be done by hand, things like that. Um, the convenience of the 3D printing is definitely there, but I think that those advancements, the advancements that are happening there are much more evident in the actual um, tech going into the genetic code and, and uh, you know, genetic material that can react and adapt and, and grow into those medical or those actual anatomical parts. Gotcha. Okay. Well, within the medical realm, um, so you have the surgical models. What else are you guys working on, or is, or is that it in that realm? Well, a lot of, uh, as Cameron mentioned before, uh, prototyping for OEM medical device manufacturing. So the ability to uh, create something that might be going into a tool or instrument, actually putting that in the hands of doctors, having them use it, and then having them give designers and manufacturers feedback about it once it's been in the field 
And with additive, you have the ability to actually, at a much lower cost, produce a, a smaller volume of the tool, uh, get feedback on it, and then iterate your design uh, based upon what uh, you've basically heard from the doctors, what improvements make the most sense, and then release a product that's optimized to, once again, uh, increase the uh, usability of it in the surgical theater and the overall success rate of, of patients and doctors. Uh any prosthetics, you know, or implants, hip implants, custom ones, or a prosthetic limb? Are you involved uh, in that at all? A, a lot of the uh, implants and prosthetics tend to be in the uh, the metals realm. Um, Stratasys right now mm. uh, works mostly with the uh, with plastics and polymers. Um, there is, uh, you know, three D printing that has that that exists within the you know the implants, but it's mostly titaniums and stainless steels and so forth. So, you know, for us, it's um, External use on the body is definitely a big one. Um, I'm sure some of our customers, you know, we don't know exactly every product that all of our customers make, but I'm sure some of our customers might be doing um, either prosthetics or orthopedics um, out of the, um, you know, the, the FDA-approved plastics that we offer, um, you know, whether or not be polycarbonate or um, the Ultim materials that you can do on the FDM machine. The nice high-strength, uh, rigid um, uh, FDM materials can be used to do uh, whether or not it was, you know, prosthetics like a, like you like you had mentioned, or orthopedic supports, or uh, braces, mm. things like that here and there. But exactly what our customers are doing, um, you know, we know we know to a certain extent, but there's it's it's limitless. So <laughs> you know, there could be a, a ton of different things out there yeah. that we don't even know are, are happening utilizing the, the machines that we offer. And just briefly on the aerospace side, um, anything interesting or unusual or exciting that's being uh, being created there, or just yeah. Uh, well, with aerospace, what's interesting is the idea that we're working with uh, thermoplastics, as Cameron mentioned. One of them is uh, Ultem, which uh, has uh, different certifications on it that allow it to be used as end-use parts in aircraft. So we're seeing a transition from the idea of using uh, metal components for certain things and actually switching over to plastic. Uh, overall, what that means is we're making parts on demand, so you don't have to order, for example, a large batch of uh, parts for a, a particular production run. Instead, what you actually can do is make parts as needed. And the other advantage there is versus a, a metal, you're able to uh, reduce the overall weight and you're actually working with a level of design freedom and sort of uh, complexity that you couldn't achieve with traditional manufacturing methods. So contours, geometries, uh, things that, you know, if you were to put it on a blueprint and hand it to a, a machinist, he'd probably be pretty unhappy with you. Uh, we're able to do on a 3D printer and we're able to print those parts over and over again. And that kind of comes back to the idea of having a digital library. So it's that sort of just-in-time manufacturing uh, that's really been a game changer for a lot of the big aerospace companies. That's great. Okay. Um, so when you get printers from Stratasys, or um, are you making any in-house? Are you altering the the equipment itself, or are you just finding uh, uses for customers and tying in the makers of the machines to the users of the machines? Uh, the, the latter. So the equipment um, basically falls into two categories. We have the FDM, which is the fused deposition modeling. That's extrusion of the thermoplastic. Uh, and then the other technology is a polyjet. So that's the jetted and cured UV-sensitive photopolymer that we were talking earlier about in the uh, 
medical planning. Uh, those the polyjet systems are manufactured in Rehovot, Israel, and the FDM systems are manufactured in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So what we're doing is uh, putting those systems into the field and then working with customers to develop applications and ensure they're getting the most utility out of their their equipment. Any uh, new applications or additional ones that you're you're trying to have become more widespread that are just there early on that people may not uh, know about? Yeah, uh, a couple of the applications that we're kind of working with uh, use cases is is how um, we kind of we'll present them to customers. Um, some of them involve tooling, jigs and fixtures, but also uh, uh, layup tooling. Um, this is really big in the automotive and um, aerospace industry, uh, where we're actually utilizing 3D printed parts um, as carbon fiber layup tools, or we're using um, soluble materials to do um, you know, for, for carbon fiber wrapping or, or um, a composite wrapping around a mandrel. We'll actually print a soluble mandrel that they can do the wrap around. And then uh, we will soak that out using a chemical solution. Um, this is a, a great advancement for us, and uh, in, in just in these industries, it's, it's a it's a big help when you're able to do uh, mandrel wrapping on a very complicated part that might have undercuts and and so forth that you wouldn't actually be able to do any other way. Um, to do soluble cores, there is processes that exist, um, but not without the speed and repeatability that you can do um, utilizing 3D printing. So. Um, a couple of those areas would be, you know, sort of like the jigs and fixtures area, um, trying to get customers to understand that they don't just have to print their final use parts out of it, or another final their prototype parts, but they can actually print um, jigs and and uh, uh, you know assembly fixtures that they can use throughout their normal process. On, they can print it on the 3D printer, and they can use these jigs and fixtures when manufacturing their final end-use products or whether or not it might be um, uh, testing features or t testing jigs for their for their products or um, creating uh, vacuum form tools for doing packaging or vacuum form tools for doing, uh, if it's like a carbon fiber layup tool, let's say they need a, a cut fixture afterwards, they can do a vacuum cut fixture where they will actually vacuum the tool down and then cut around yeah. it. We can create very kind of interesting geometry um, internally that allows us to pull vacuum through parts. Um, so we can do uh, kind of those those uh, uh, vacuum form tools very easily and much differently than you would do using a standard substrate. Yeah, I would think automotive applications, well, aerospace too, are pretty demanding in, uh, in how the parts need to perform, tolerances, that kind of thing. So is, the, is 3D printing and these processes, are they holding up? Are they making parts that are usable? Yeah, actually, um, the Alton material that we talked about a little bit ago, um, that material is uh, actually FAA-approved to fly. Um, there's over, I believe, and Peter, double-check me on this, it's over 5,000 different parts that are currently flying on Boeing planes. Um, yeah, uh, right around there. And, and beyond that, actually, just for prototyping, at any given point in time, there's over 100,000 prototype parts that are actually flying in the air above us. So what they have the ability to do with that Ultim material uh, in their testing phase is actually create a part, print it, put it on a prototype aircraft, and then and fly it. Uh, there's yeah. no processing like that, so it's it's a very different approach to uh, traditional manufacturing. And in kind of yeah. coming back to what Cameron was saying, as far as the the tooling and uh, you know other applications associated with production, by 3D printing stuff, we have a huge reduction in the lead time uh, as compared to, to traditional tooling. Uh, which means uh, cost savings, and and that also means that we're getting products to market faster for our customer, 
and that's what's a big savings to them. And with additive in general, the idea is if you're going to be designing something, um, you know, their tooling processes can be very expensive and time-consuming. With additive, you can validate and test something, and it gives you the ability to, if, if you're going to fail or make a mistake, you're going to fail early and you're going to fail cheap as opposed to doing it in a traditional process that might have weeks or months of lead time to produce a metal part, get that in your hands and realize that there's a mistake or uh, something needs to be redesigned. So by reducing the cost of the sort of ancillary tooling associated with uh, production equipment and ultimately end-use parts, uh, it's, it's really a huge benefit to people that implement the technology. What about um, companies that may have legacy parts systems, that kind of thing, can they use 3D printing to have an on-demand inventory of those to fix and repair and replace what they have instead of ordering them or not being able to get them? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so, definitely. I, with, uh, with, with having having your tools uh, storage or, or your, your part storage in a, in a digital format is um, huge, especially for smaller OEMs where you know, four space footprint size is actually an issue. Um, you know, you, you have these, you know, big guys who throw names like Boeing and Airbus and so forth. They have warehouses all over the place. So they're they're going to be fine. But, um, you know, you have your, your small kind of mom and pop shops, your smaller machine shops or, or OEMs that, you know, every square foot in their facility counts. And if they can put more machining tools or more production tools in an area that would normally be used for either tool or product storage, um, then that's huge for them. That can increase their um, their output production tremendously. So, uh, you know, being able to store your parts or, or let's say your tools um, or your jigs and your fixtures all digitally um, is is definitely a, a massive benefit for for a lot of our customers. Yeah, and I was thinking it would allow um, manufacturers to also service you know legacy uh, equipment and parts that they've put out without it being a burden. So they could expand their uh, their market share because now, you know, someone calls and they say we don't make that anymore, but they could make it theoretically. Absolutely. So that's something where you could actually take, for example, com a component that may have been broken and actually scan it, reverse engineer it. So we have a 3D CAD file, and from that actually print the part uh, as a, as an end use part. And you could you know keep a legacy aircraft. Uh, flying for a lot longer because you're able to replenish uh, part supply that really no longer exists. But we can do that now uh, because we can do it in both the digital space and through the additive manufacturing process. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, so besides supplying the uh, the printers and the know-how on how to uh, create new use cases, what else does Purple Platypus do with some other major um, business units that you guys have? Um, so Purple Platypus actually has a uh, another kind of side of the company. It's actually called a Purple Porcupine. Um, Purple Porcupine yeah. is um, basically our service bureau side. Um, so Purple Platypus has a bunch of machines in our showroom um, in-house. And, you know, we use those to show to customers, hey, this is what you can get. This is the parts that you'll get off of it. This is how they run. Um, but at the same time, all those machines are also working for us. You know, they're kind of earning their rent, essentially. Um on the, the Purple Porcupine side, we work with customers that may not necessarily have a machine budget, but they do have a parts budget, and they do have a need for prototypes. They um, might be a you know small shop that wants to create a new product that they have a good idea for, and they just don't have the um, 
you know, the, the budget to go directly to final production tooling, but they really want to get that um, prototype done so that they can understand, okay, when we do get the investors to go to final production tooling, it's going to be correct the first time. Um, so Purple uh, Porcupine really helps those people, and, and even larger companies also, that they're just not in the, the place to purchase a machine right now, or, or um, you know, a machine just isn't on the radar, they want some smaller parts, or very unique kind of one-off parts for, for artists or architectural models, um, interesting design features. Uh, things like that, we can manufacture all those in-house for people, um, and uh, you know, and that's that's a, a service that we run um, within Purple Porcupine. We also offer design services. So let's say we have that guy that has the great idea; he wants to get on the Kickstarter, but he doesn't have the technical know-how of of how to properly model this or or create the product. And he knows what he wants it to do, but he doesn't know how to get it on paper, get it on the computer, and get a file that he can create and print. We offer those services as well too help customers That's great. Uh, generate their designs. And uh, right. one thing sort of on top of that is we actually, with uh, within Porcupine, we actually help a lot of our existing customers that do have systems. Uh, and they've found that, and this is very often the case, they'll buy a system for one or two applications, they bring it in-house, and they realize there's, you know, 9, 10, 20 different things they also could be doing with it. So in some ways we help with the overflow uh, once the demand for the technology sort of reaches a point where they can't it can't be met uh, at their site locally, uh, we support that with the systems that we have here, so they can continue to produce and uh, make sure that they have the bandwidth and the throughput to be able to uh, make the parts that they need. Yeah, and we also have um, in-house uh, machine service technicians. Uh, they're all Stratus certified technicians, so. Um, you know, sometimes if you can't access Stratasys directly, uh, we have the capability to still help you out and, and walk you through your problems and, and troubleshoot with you um, and figure that out all directly um, in-house here at, at, our, at our local location. So for some of those customers that, you know, might not be able to get a hold of tech cross-country, um, you know, we're here to, uh, to be able to talk to them and, and uh, um, get them back up and, and running as quick as possible. There's no uh, purple people eater division, is there? Uh, not, not yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why is the company called uh, Purple Platypus? Where did that come from? And purple porcupine. Um, so we had a uh, a previous owner um, who was kind of an eccentric guy. Um, pretty pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. He was a cool guy once you get to know him. But he, I've been under his, over over to his house, and he has a. If there's a way to explain it, he has a giant fur-covered motorized couch that he can control with a joystick, and he drives it around his neighborhood. So <laughs> if that's any explanation of his personality, that's where the name comes from. Gotcha. <laughs> it's, also okay. great, it's also great marketing, too. People never forget us. They'll come up to us at a trade show like, oh, I remember your name from five years ago. And, you know, it's, mm. it's easy to search online, and it doesn't return a lot of results except for us. So, <laughs> Okay. Makes sense. So... Since you guys are so heavily into the use cases of these machines, I would figure you'd have a good idea on, you know, right now, what's realistic, what's fantasy, both in aerospace and medical worlds, and, you know, two to five years from now, how do you think that'll change in the 3D printing industry? Well, I think it's a matter of uh, scale, what size we're actually working with and what size we're going to be moving towards. Uh, with respect to aerospace, um, one of the things that Stratasys uh, released at the uh, IMTS show this past uh, 
September was there's actually two devices. Uh, one of them was the Infinite Build 3D printer. So it's the idea of taking our traditional FDM 3D printer, which as I mentioned before, is that extrusion-based design, and kind of flipping it on its side. And by doing that, it gives them essentially uh, infinite Z-axis, so the ability to print a part that is pretty much can be, I think I saw five or six foot long components coming out, and it's sort of coming out on this conveyor belt. So these massive parts uh, at a much uh, higher speed, I think it's about 10 times for, uh, the traditional FDM speed, and it's something where that system could be expanded to be even larger. So you're talking about the ability to print aircraft panels all in one all in one shot. And uh, also at that same show, they had a eight-axis robotic arm with uh, FDM extruder on it. And what's really interesting about that was they're able to print um, at all these different angles on a part. So you're able to create sort of a composite uh, structure that has different cross hatchings, different angles, which reinforces the strength of the part and also means it doesn't require any supportive structure. So wow. much faster build speeds there and the ability to manipulate a part and make sure that it doesn't, uh, or rather it has the, the best uh, material properties possible. So that's, I think, one big thing. Oh. Within that, too, the, the development of new materials is really what's pushing additive manufacturing forward. That's amazing. Okay. Um, anything the uh, public perceives as, you know, as possible, but that you think is fantasy, at least for the next five or so years, but may uh, come later. Uh, um, one thing that that we've actually all been talking about in the office right now is, um, I don't know if you've seen Westworld, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. has a whole bunch of 3D printing of uh, people and and all sorts of stuff, and that's always something that we get really interesting questions you know you mentioned kind of the medical printing and so forth earlier people go oh uh, you can print ears right and it's and you know the answer is it's been done but it's not you know you can't just put a printer in your kitchen and, and print out a new ear if you accidentally cut it or something you know it's that, that that's right. something that could definitely be possible in the future but um the logistics and the red tape behind everything that that is there i think is uh, is just kind of People don't really kind of understand that aspect of it. Um, you know, we get a lot of questions about uh, metals. Um, that's kind of probably the biggest question that we get at trade shows is, is, do you guys do metals? Do you guys do metals? And the answer is metals exist. Metals printers do exist. Um, uh, the the kind of back end behind metal printers is, is much more involved than I think people realize. Um, there's a lot more that's going on that take that it takes to, to run these printers. There's a lot more, um, you know, kind of uh, technical know-how and, and metallurgy and all these different aspects and, and your, your shop requirements and just your facilities and everything just has to be all exactly in line with what you need and, and the cost going into it. Um, you know, we, we've had metal parts quoted in the past and, and I've seen the cost of certain metal parts and it's just astronomically higher than anything that you would ever get in, in plastics or, or even the higher strength, like kind of Ultim plastics and, and so forth, they just don't even compare because there's such a massive cost involved um, to get these machines up and running and to get them actually um, in your product or, or in your product line or, or your, your uh, product development process that it's just, you know, that the back end of it is, it's, it's kind of geared towards certain companies can actually use it. And the answer is for, for, the general population, metals isn't there yet, but that's something in the future that, that we might see. Okay. Well, very good. So 
yeah, last question I have is um, for people listening that you know have use cases that may fit what you do. What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Are you guys going to the trade show next week? Uh, you know, what other ways can they get in contact? The website, phone. Uh, yeah, I would say um, you know website or phone. I believe our phone number is on the website, but we have. If you just want to get a quick quote of a part, let's say you're you're looking for service bureau, um, then we do have a um, online quoter for parts. Um, but then also there's uh, links directly to if you're looking for machine sales, um, there's links directly to get in contact with the machine salesperson as well. Um, if Erica's still on the line, she would be a, a good one to ask about the um, the trade show. I, I she she uh, handles all the the scheduling, um, but uh, if we find out from her on the, uh, the the trade show. Other than that, yeah, online, email, and phone, uh, we're always available to uh, to contact to uh, have a discussion. So, okay, guys. Well, is there anything else that I should have asked you that we left out, or you think that covers quite a bit? No, I, I think we uh, cover all our bases. Any thoughts, Cameron? Yeah, no, I think that was definitely good and informative. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I appreciate you guys coming. And um, you made it uh, accessible by by a layperson, so you didn't get too technical. So I appreciate it very much. Yeah, absolutely. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.